welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. And I want to share uh, you know, from a passage in the Old Testament, actually a whole chapter uh, in the Old Testament that, that I feel is good, like God has put on my heart to really kind of stir us and encourage us in the season that we're in right now. Who's ever heard of SMS? What does SMS mean? No. That's probably right for ASMS, not the one I'm thinking of. SMS. Small man syndrome. Who's ever heard of that? Just me. Right? Can everyone just stretch your arm up? I need you to wake up in this place today. Okay. Small man syndrome. Who's ever heard of that before? Don't point to anyone. Don't look at anyone. That, that we don't need people getting angry right now. There is this thing called, this phenomena called small man syndrome. And uh, I, I'm not sure. Garfield is an actual psychological thing or a, it's not really. Okay. The resident psychologist. Uh, but uh, this small man syndrome, you've probably heard of it, you've maybe experienced it, where the, the, the thought behind it is that someone that is shorter in stature tries to make up for their shortness through assertiveness or aggressiveness or uh, overcompensating, right? I used to have a friend who suffered from SMS, and uh, it was funny to watch some of the things that he did when he was poked or, or provoked or, or triggered with that. He'd rise up. It was especially funny when it came to sport because he'd get so competitive and you'd see it rise up. All right. That's not just limited to males. Let me just say that. Who's ever heard of the SDS? Small dog syndrome. Come on, you've heard of that before, right? When I was growing up, we had a chihuahua that I'm pretty sure we imported from hell. It was, I'm pretty sure, I remember seeing this chihuahua snarl at me when I'm walking past it. You, who's ever seen an angry chihuahua before? Come on, they are SDS. They got small dog syndrome. And I remember having dreams, nightmares about this chihuahua and its snarl and its demon face as it looked at me from, I don't know where it came from, from like Mexico. Where are chihuahuas from? Mexico? I got like flashbacks of being a Mexican gangster when I was younger. I don't know where that comes from. But that dog's probably been part of the traumatic experiences there. We had this dog. We didn't keep it for too long, but because it was so aggressive, it would just get aggressive about its territory. It would get aggressive about its food. It would get aggressive about its bed. It would get aggressive about everything. It would chase people around. When anyone, anyone comes into the house, it would just get aggressive. It was a small dog, and it had small dog syndrome. But have you ever heard of SCS? No, don't worry about cats. Let's not talk about cats here. This place is holy. Small Christian syndrome. Have you ever heard of small Christian syndrome? No, I made it up. <laughs> it's not actually a real thing. But uh, it is this condition that I've observed within Christians where we kind of see ourselves as insignificant, where we see ourselves as um, small and not able to make a difference in this world. 
And uh, I want to speak into that this morning because when we recognize the greatness of the God that we serve, the God that has given us His Spirit, then our eyes will be open to see that there is no insignificant Christian. There is no small Christian. There is no small believer. There is no uh, believer, no Christian who carries the Spirit of God that cannot be involved in great things when God gets hold of their lives. And so I want to speak into that this morning because I believe that uh, the, the church is in a, in a state right now, it's in a season right now where we have the opportunity to shine brighter than we've ever shone before. We have an opportunity to speak louder with more love, with more compassion, with more mercy and more grace than we've ever spoken before. But we also have the opportunity to sit back and watch. To, to allow others to, to go on. And sometimes I, f- I feel like we do that because we don't see that God could use us. God could move through us. God could do something great through us. And so the title of this message this morning is The Greatness in the Smallness. The Greatness in the Smallness. Let's open to Zechariah chapter 4, which is in the Old Testament. If you're looking, flicking around in the, the Bible there. Zechariah chapter 4, I'm going to read from verse 1 through to verse 5. Have a pause and then read on a little bit. Verse 1, it says, Then the angel who had been talking with me returned and woke me as though I had been asleep. What do you see now? He asked. I answered, I see a gold lampstand with a bowl of oil on top of it. Around the bowl are seven lamps, each with having seven spouts with wicks. And I see two olive trees, one on each side of the bowl. Then I asked the angel, what are these, my Lord? What do they mean? Don't you know, the angel asked. No, my Lord, I replied. Let me start off with this. You don't always get what you see. You don't always get what you see. Zechariah here is given this vision. He's in this stage where uh, Zerubbabel and some of the, the the uh, Israelites have come back to Jerusalem to start to rebuild the temple. And God gives him this vision, and it's in a dream. And in Zechariah, the first couple of chapters of Zechariah, they, they contain these visions, these dreams that, that God gives to Zechariah. And this one in particular, he gives him this picture, and he says, I see a gold lampstand with a bowl of oil on top of it. Around the bowl are seven lamps, each having seven spouts with wicks, and I see two olive trees, one on each side of the bowl. Then I asked the Lord, what are these, my Lord? What do they mean? Zechariah is given this vision, this picture, this dream from God, but he does not at first understand it. What do you see now, the question is, and he doesn't understand what he sees. He sees clearly the picture, but he doesn't understand the the meaning of it. And so his question then is to ask back to God, well, what is it? Isn't that a great thing to do? When God gives us a vision, when He puts a dream in our hearts, when He he speaks to us, when we don't at first understand it, when we can't really get what we see, to go back to Him and ask Him, what is it, God? What are you showing me in this moment? What are you saying to me? And so then He starts to unpack this vision that He's given to Him. Can we show that picture of that, uh, that vision there, Lockie? This is not the actual vision that he had. It's just an artist interpretation. But he sees these two olive trees, and then there's these 
bowl that is holding oil, and there's this constant flow of oil that comes from these olive trees into these lampstands, and it gives them the, the oil that they need to burn. This is a vision that is speaking into the stage that they're about to move into because later on in uh, Zechariah, at the end of it there, Zechariah 4, he says, I asked the angel, what are the two olive trees on each side of the lampstand? And what are the two olive branches that pour out golden oil through two gold tubes? Do you know? He asked. No, Lord, I replied. Then he said to me, they represent the two anointed ones who stand in the courts of the Lord of all the earth. Those two anointed ones, commentators uh, would say, uh, represent Zerubbabel and Joshua. Joshua and Zerubbabel being the, the priest and the order of the king. And those two, at that point in time, were the anointed, chosen, the, the Hebrew phrase says the sons of oil, that they were to pour into the nation. And the, the, the lampstand is, is representative of God's presence, his eyes that watch over all of the earth. So there was a meaning to the prophecy at that point in time. But as it is with prophecy, and particularly Old Testament, it spoke of something else that was to come. And so Zechariah saw what was going to be spoken into and what could happen in his generation, what would happen in, in the nation that he was in. But it also has significance to us today. There is another layer behind what God said to him. The two officers we would understand as the Christly officers, the officers of Christ, king and priest, that he is the branch, that he is the tree, the olive tree, that feeds the spirit, the oil into the bowl that then burns within the lampstand, the presence of God within his, his people, his church. There was deep significant meaning to this, and there is to us today, that because of Christ, because of the, oil tree, the, the olive tree, the tree, because of him and his spirit that flows within us, we can burn brightly for him. And that, that oil is endless. There's this endless supply of oil that continues to pour, the spirit of God that continues to pour. Guess what? There's no limit on the spirit of God in your life. You don't get to a certain, a certain containment and say, well, that's it. That's all you can have. There is unlimited oil for your life. But here is the thing, you've got to stay connected to the branch. You've got to stay connected to the tree. Jesus said of himself, I am the, the vine. I am the vine. And whoever abides in me, whoever stays connected in me, whoever remains in me can produce fruit, will bring fruit. So the trick there is to stay connected to the one who brings the oil, who gives the oil, who produces the oil, who, who gives us the oil. And in doing so, we can see God's movement, His activity, His Spirit move through us. But when we disconnect from Him, when, when we turn our backs on Him or we, or we just uh, you know, go away from Him, then we, we, we might lose that flow. It might be hindered in our lives. And so there's times when we have to look at what is taking place in our hearts, in our world, in our minds, that would be limiting the oil, the supply of God's presence, His power in and through us. What do you see now? What has God put in your heart right now? What is God, what, what is the dream? What is the vision? What, what, what is God calling you to in this season? Can I tell you right now, it's not to sit in a seat on Sunday. That might be part of God moving you in the direction of the call on your life, but it's not the be all and end all of the call on your life. What is God 
calling you to? What is he calling us to? What is he saying to us? What do we see now? Well, sometimes you don't get what you see straight away. Sometimes God will give us vision that that can speak into that moment but has its outworking in in years to come. That that sometimes God will show you snippets, little pieces of what he's going to do because I I reckon, you know, that, that if he showed us the whole picture, you might get freaked out. I had this time I was working, I was making spas, and uh, I, have, I, was, I was making the, the pipe work for spas, like, you know, the spa bath things with bubbles. Do I have to explain what a spa is? No. I'm trying to explain to myself what a spa is. I was making these, these pipes for this thing, and as I'm doing this, I'm a new Christian. I get this picture in my head of me speaking in a prison, and I'm like, that must be the fumes. Like that's the glue or that's some sort of silicon stuff that's like messing with my head. And I, but I have this picture of me speaking in a prison, newer Christian. I'm like, what is that? How is that going to happen? Anyway, later on down the track, I get invited to be part of a team that does alpha courses in juvenile detention. We're, we're in Bankshire Hill. And I was going in there once a week, every week for a couple of years and just sharing the good news of Jesus with kids in prison. That was years later. It wasn't something that I wanted to do. It wasn't something that I thought up. It wasn't something that I dreamt of. But it was something that God put in my heart to do. So maybe he's put things in your heart to do, things to, that, that he's showing you, that he's stirring in you, uh, that are for now, but are going to be outworked in the future as well. What do you see now? What is it? Can I encourage you to lift your eyes up, to lift up your heart again, to, to, to believe again that God wants to do something in and through your life. You're not here to just make up numbers. You're not here to just take time. You're not just here to, to, to flow through. And I'm talking to the youngest and the oldest in this room. If you're in this place and you think you're retired and you're a follower of Jesus, I've got news for you. You have something to give to the body. You have something to give to this world. You're not retired. You're getting refired. You're getting refired for Jesus. You like that? That was pretty good, eh? I actually I thought of that a long time ago, but now I lost where my space was. Refired, yeah. God wants to do some stuff in you. And you know what? It is in our smallness. It is in our weakness. It is in, 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 our, in our vulnerabilities. It's in those spaces that God seems to do the greatest work. He gives interpretation then as, as he speaks to, uh, to Zechariah, because Zechariah doesn't understand what's going on. And he says in verse 6, Then he said to me, This is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel, which is a gangster name, Zerubbabel, in not... It is not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Let me say that again. You've probably got this on your fridge or something. It is not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Nothing, not even a mighty mountain will stand in Zerubbabel's way. It will become a level plain before him. And when Zerubbabel sets the final stone of the temple in place, the people will shout, may God bless it, may God bless it. 
How is it going to happen? Well, it's not by might. It's not by force. It's not by strength, but it is by the Spirit of God. So if you feel weak, if you, you feel small, guess what? You're in a good place. Because God's greatness can be shown through you. His greatness can move through you. It says to us that, you know, what did I say there? You can huff and you can puff, but you can't blow it down on your own. You can try, you can work, you can do as much effort and energy as you want, but if God's not in it, if God isn't anointing it, if God's Spirit's not working, then you're not going to produce fruit. The laborers labor in vain. They work in vain. They work, but it's in vain. And so we've got to stay connected to Him to let His Spirit do the work in us. When we disconnect, guess what? I don't want to be discouraging, but if we're, if we're working outside of what He's calling us to, the anointing on our lives, moving with His Spirit, and we're trying in our own effort, in our own energy, in our, by our own works, then we're not going to produce what He's calling us to produce. So stay plugged in. Stay connected to the source of the power, the source of greatness, the one who is greatness Himself. He says, not by might, not by strength, but by my spirit. Now, the flip side of that says to us that, that with the spirit of God, you can accomplish great things. You don't need the strength. You don't need the force. You don't need the might. You don't need, need all of that. If you've got the spirit of God, you've got what you need. And he can do the work. The Holy Spirit has power. Does anyone believe that? What sort of power does he have? Resurrection power. What sort of power does he have? Miracle working power. Healing power. What sort of power does the Holy Spirit have? Transformative power. What sort of power does he have? He's got power. And if you carry the Spirit of God, guess what's in you? Power. The same power is in you. So let it out of you. Activate it in you and let it out of you. Release it by the Spirit of God. He can do great things. You know what? There is the testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony of people who thought they were insignificant, who thought they were small, who thought they could do nothing, and then God comes to them, He encounters them, and then they do these incredible things. And what it does is it shows that they weren't that great to start off with, but He was always great. And he revels in that. He loves that. He, he loves to see his glory displayed through his church. Time after time, Gideon. You know the story of Gideon? God comes to him and he's like, who, me? I'm like the least. I'm the weakest. We're the smallest. And God's like, yes, you. Jonathan has this moment where, where they're about to attack an army. And he says, don't worry about it. You know, God, is, God will give us victory. Whether we've got many or we've got few, God is the one who gives victory. Even Jesus himself came from humble beginnings, from small beginnings. It was prophesied of Bethlehem that it was the smallest and yet greatness would come from it. God loves to work in our weakness. His power is made perfect in our weakness. So it's not about telling ourselves that we're great. It's about recognizing His greatness and allowing Him to move and work through us. 
He is great and is greatly to be praised. And when we get vision of how good He is, how powerful He is, we can open our hearts, open our lives for Him to move through. And again, age is not a requirement. Study is not a requirement. Those things, study is really good. I encourage study. But God moved through disciples that were uneducated and they turned the whole world upside down. They changed things because they had the power of God at work within them. That same power lives in you. That same power. And I believe God wants to move through His church. He doesn't want a powerless church. He doesn't want a church that lives in a blackout. He wants a church that is shining bright, that is burning brightly for Him and will show people of His glory. And you're included in that. He then goes on there to say, uh, then another message came to, to me from the Lord. Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation of this temple, and he will complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies has sent me. Do not despise these small beginnings. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. The seven lamps represent the eyes of the Lord that search all, all around the world. Those words there, do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. They were, they were at this point, there were Jews that were grumbling. They, they were a bit upset when they heard about the, re, the rebuilding of the temple because they thought that it wasn't going to be as, splint, as, as glorious as it was formerly, that it wasn't going to be as big as it was before. And God's, God's heart is, it's not about the size of that. Do not despise those small beginnings because from those small beginnings, greatness can come. From those humble, from those small things, God can do great things. I don't know if you ever look at things and think, oh, you know, what, what, I, what I feel like God's put in my hand, it's so small. It's so insignificant. It's not going to do anything. I don't think God can change the world or God can do some great things through what he's given me. But let me tell you, if you put it before God, if you offer it to him, the smallest beginnings can, can make massive impact. Massive impact. Anyone ever heard of Edward Kimball? Do you know Edward Kimball? I had to write his name down because I didn't technically know him. Edward Kimball was a, a Sunday school teacher who uh, he, his role, his ministry was to, to teach scripture in Sunday school. And he particularly looked after the, uh, the, the boys who run amok. If you've ever you know, done work in, in children's ministry, you know the ones. The ones that everyone else is like, can you look after them? That was his job. He looked after them. And, and that was his ministry. He was a Sunday school scripture teacher. And then one day he shares the gospel. He feels prompted to, to share the gospel. I had to write these down uh, with D.L. Moody. Who's ever heard of D.L. Moody? He was a shoe salesman at that time. Shares the gospel with him. He gets saved. He comes to Jesus. He becomes an evangelist. He goes and spreads the word. And then someone that, that is at a, a D.L. Moody uh, evangelist conference gets inspired to go out. He goes and shares the gospel. And then someone else gets inspired. 
And then someone else gets inspired and they move and there's this tapestry, there's this weaving of God's hand through these lives that comes to this man, Billy Graham, who was in one of the the meetings that, from a guy that got saved in the meeting, from a guy that got saved in the meeting, from a guy that got saved in the meeting of D.L. Moody, who got saved by the Sunday school teacher sharing the gospel. And Billy Graham came out of that. Can we show that picture, Lockie, of, of the, the event? I don't know if you can see that at the MCG where Billy Graham broke the record for the attendance at the MCG as he shared the gospel with all of those people. And you can trace that back to the Sunday school teacher who had the boldness, the courage, and the love to share the gospel with D.L. Moody. From small things, great things can happen. From small things, great things can happen. We actually are privileged this morning to have Pastor Lauren Pratt in the house. And I invited him, I only invited him yesterday to come and share a little bit about what's been happening. Uh, I spoke a couple of weeks ago about the Midland Meals in Ellenbrook and how uh, there's going to be, we're starting up feeding here in Ellenbrook. And we caught up for a coffee this week and I heard the story of how it all started and I was like, man, that's inspiring. And I thought, the church needs to hear this because small beginnings can have great impact. Let's welcome him. I got that coffee, coffee it was great. I was inspired by him as well. He's a man of God and just great to share with, uh, with, you, with you, Scott. I love what you're saying here when you said, what has God placed in our heart? And what's that holy discontent where you think, that's just got to change. That's just got to change. Because that's where God has placed you in the ministry. That's your ministry is waiting for you. That's where God is calling you. For me, I was in a ministry over in Melbourne in Tullamarine where we had started a church plant and over a number of years we bought a $1.8 million building, something similar to in shape and look to this, feeding 5,000 a week. I was happy, I was content, but God said, nah, you're out of here, Lauren. And within a matter of um, weeks we had to sell the houses, we had to sell, uh, there we had to, make a trek across the Nullarbor over to here, and I was living in a campground, and I thought, yeah, we'll get into a, into a schools, we'll get into a um, new house pretty quickly. It took us a year and a half or so. We were living in a campground, in two cabins, me and my wife and three kids. And um, I was here 20 odd years, 25 years ago, is how I met my wife, but I took her over back over to Victoria where Decent football is played, where grapes and oranges are grown, and was happy there. But God called me back here. But on the campground alone, I'm thinking, God, why? 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 Um, my resources were packed. And um, Mitch and I, a friend of mine who I met 25 years ago, we connected again, up on a mountain over here, and we just prayed over Perth. And we're just praying and we're just saying, Lord, what do you want us to do? Look at the, the homes down here, the cars that are going back and forth, the people that are going to and fro and they don't know you. And we're praying for God to make us a difference. I lasted from January that year through to September. And I said, Mitch, I am itching to get back and meet people again. We've got to get in there and feed the people meals. That's where I believe God's called me. 
And um, Mitch said, I shared the same dream, but how are we going to do it? We've got nothing. And we're just praying, saying, God, show us. And finally, Mitch rings me and says, I'm going with my ute and a barbecue on the back of the ute. I'm going. Are you going to come with me? I said, I've got a meeting tonight at the church. He went and started himself. A few small onions, a few tomatoes, some burger rolls and some, some meat and a pot of soup and started from the back of his ute. And um, he um, had no one turned up. And so he left the ute, left everything there and went walking around the street and he, he found a guy called um, Paul and he, he, uh, Paul didn't want to come down so Mitch went and bought him a subway and gave him the subway. And next night, I was there with them, Paul came. We had um, five people come, and there's a photo of, the, of these five people, and we praised God for that, and thinking, this is, this is great, but we wanted more. And so now we grew from the ute to a trailer. We strapped a table on the back of the trailer, and there's all our supplies in the trailer, the barbecue beside it, that's Mitch in the orange, and we uh, started out there, feeding people. We need some expert advice. So who do we go to? But in the previous slide, you'll see Bev and John Lowe from Manor Ministries, where they fed 3,000 people in the city of Perth with that. And they came giving us advice. It's growing over the, the days. Now, this is still the first two weeks. A school teacher here joined us, and, um, and the guys behind are the homeless people here that uh, we're looking after, and there she is serving up uh, the, the burgers. We, um, we kept on praying and asking God to keep on leading us and looking after us. And I'm thinking, we're going to get insurance and all the other things all sorted out and we're just going for it there. And the City of Swan Council people are having their meetings over on Wednesday night over in the council hall. And they came over and started offering a support. And there started a beautiful connection with the, the City of Swan. And um, one lady... Um, who works in the youth uh, services offices there, she said, let's help you. And so she took us down and around, we prayed, and I prayed around seven sites around Midland, and then finally the doors were just closing, closing, and she said, come into our car park. She went and asked for permissions, and so from, um, this was September last year, and from then on, we have been meeting in the car park behind the police station. Over the summer months, we've fed up to 130 people a night. We're going seven nights a week uh, there. And the numbers have dropped down to a bit. Last night, it was about uh, 65, 70 because it was wet and cold. But those who needed it came down to us. And um, um, then um, someone from the council said, oh, there's grants going for the COVID-19, we put it in uh, for it, and I thought, oh, we might get a caravan or a trailer. I'd prayed for a year for a caravan or a trailer or something uh, properly set up, uh, or even a building. And Mitch and I kept on saying, we need to go and ask the council to help us. Are there any buildings? God had different plans. He had, and we put this in, and still with the idea of a um, trailer of some sort, but then, in working it through, we got the grant, and it was, and it ended up being a sea container. We've now got a sea container. We prayed about it, and we said, God, um, 
We don't want to put all our money into a sea container. Someone of a craft heard about it and said, here's a 40-foot sea container. You can have it for free. Oh, yeah, I said, Mitch, it's up there. It's going to get down here. Before we knew it, a truck was organised to deliver it free down here. And so we are now currently fitting a sea container out. That will be uh, in the council car park in Midland, uh, behind the uh, police station there. It'll have our branding on it. It'll have a branding of those who are supporting us. It'll be a test me constantly as people drive into that car park that there's activity here, there is ministry happening, and that the church is alive. And so from there, I had a burden with a few others um, here, and some of them in this church, that Ellenbrook needs it as well. And so um, two weeks ago, we started out in Ellenbrook. Again, didn't know where we're heading, what was going on, we were going through a few doors that were being just shut in our faces. Like, what are you doing? We kept the prayers up, kept the prayers up. And finally, someone connected with two Christian doctors in Alpha and Omega, and they said, we want you in our car park. We want to be a blessing to you. And so they've opened up their car park, and here in Ellenbrook, we're starting, and we're feeding people who are um, couch surfing, and we're feeding families who are absolutely struggling. Don't tell me that big things don't come from small mustard seeds. That's the way God works, Scott. It's the way God works. And I want to challenge you to join hands with Scott and I and others in this church who are going in and just going to offer our hands, our hearts, our feet and say, Jesus, use us. Who can offer our mouth and say, give us words of encouragement to these people tonight who are in Struggle Street. Help me to lift them as you do when you heal the lepers, the blind and the, and the lame in the scriptures. May the book of Acts, may the scriptures keep coming alive in our lives today. One closing story. Jan, who has been coming for a while down to Midland Meals in Midland, completely gets drunk. Gets drunk and just lives in a state of drunkenness. She was once an office manager two years ago. She's in her 60s and she is just struggling and she's just, just, if we don't help her, she's going to drink herself to death. Well, um, one night about a month ago, she rings me and I went around to her and uh, she is in this uh, little unit above her shops and she could hardly move. And I said, look, I'll bring some food back to you. And... I went back down to the Midland Meals to get the food and in that time she had started coming down I saw her coming across the car park and she staggered and held to a pole. I went down to her and said, here, and put my arms around her and I said, hold, my, hold me. And so we walked down together and walked her down to the Midland Meals and she said, I'm, I'm hungry. We gave her soup, we gave her a, a bun, we chatted to her for a bit and um, then... Um, you could see the alcohol a little bit wearing off and she was finding her feet again. I looked around as we're packing up and here she is wiping the tables. She'd gone and grabbed a cloth and started wiping the tables and serving with us. And I said, Jan, what are you doing? She said, you love me so much, you're always there for me. Let me just give back a bit and help you. And I said, no, it's better than that. You're joining us. 
Thank you for joining us. You're included in this as well. And isn't that the story of salvation? And isn't that the story of ministry? I think that's what you're saying to us this morning, Scott. Thank you so much. It's inspiring. You start out two guys in a, in a youth. How many volunteers are there now in Midland? 90, 92 volunteers now throughout the week, helping in different ways, shapes and forms, cooking, cleaning, uh, serving. Isn't that incredible? Do not despise these small beginnings. I love this bit. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. The Lord rejoices as you start. The Lord rejoices as we step out in faith, not knowing what it's going to look like, not looking for what it could look like, but as we step out to obey His voice to what He's leading us to, He rejoices. I reckon, you know, we pray, God, move. God, move through this city. God, move through this nation. I wonder sometimes if He says, you move. God, you move. Pour out your spirit. You go. Remember that when he said that? Go. Does anyone remember that? Go. Go, therefore. We pray for a move of God and, and, and God says, come on then, let's move. Let's go. Let the work begin. Let the work begin. Thinking of Peter who steps out and walks on water. Maybe God wants to call us to some things that are going to take faith this year. Maybe he wants to stir some stuff in us that's going to take us, cause us to take some risks this year, to step out and to walk on water this year. And I imagine that, you know, as Peter steps out and he walks towards Jesus, he's walking on water. Anyone else in this room ever done that? Now, we use him as, as like some sort of object lesson about not taking your eyes off Jesus, which is important. That's true. You get that from this. But the guy walked on water. I'm not going to sit back and criticize someone who's walking on water when I'm sitting in the boat while they've had the faith to step out and go to Jesus. I'd rather be a wet water walker than a dry boat talker. I prefer to be wet but walk on water and just sink every now and then to sit in the boat and be dry and content and cross my arms and criticize. And it's usually the ones who aren't putting stones in the wall that are throwing stones at the wall. So let's get moving. What has God put in your heart? What is he saying to you? What is he showing you? And how can you step into that? We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.